Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Global Storytime Podcast, where each week we read a story from a different part of the world in hopes of getting to know that place better. I'm your host and storyteller, Diane Strand. This week, I'm so excited to tell you that I'm bringing you a story from Ghana, and I'm excited to bring a story from Ghana because I used to live there. I was a Peace Corps volunteer and lived in a small village named Abu Nyanya. Abu Nyanya. It took me a handful of times of saying that before I got it right. Um, But once you get it, you've got it. So I lived there from 2009 to 2011, and it was one of the most meaningful periods of my life, of course. My service definitely had a bigger impact on me than it did on the community that I served, and I'm still in contact with some people from the village and with other Peace Corps volunteers. I highly recommend it if you ever get the opportunity to serve. So this week, we're going to read the story, Anansi and the Impossible Quest. I want to give you a little background information before we get into the story. And then, of course, like last time, after the story, I've got some fast facts about Ghana so we can get to know the country better. First of all, I want to introduce you to the great legendary figure, Anansi the Spider-Man. Anansi, called Kwaku Anansi in this story, is featured in countless folktales that originated in Ghana. Anansi is known as a trickster, as someone who is very clever and resourceful. Sometimes in stories, he's described as your regular storybook talking spider. In others, he's a spider with a human face. But in this story, he's more like a human with extra arms and legs, and he has a wife and kids. Ghana has a long tradition of passing stories through generations, and what we call an oral history. Because of this, and the fact that thousands of West Africans were taken to the Americas as slaves, we find variations of the Anansi stories in the Caribbean, Central and South America, and in the Southern United States. I also want to give some background on Kwaku Anansi's name. His name comes from the Akan people and language, which is one of the largest ethnic and language groups in Ghana. His last name, Anansi, means spider in a con. And his first name, Kwaku, comes from a tradition of day names. A day name is a special name given to a child for the day of the week that they were born on. Kwaku is the name given to boys who are born on a Thursday. I was born on a Saturday, so I was sometimes called Alma or Sister Alma when I was in Ghana because Alma is the name given to girls who are born on Saturdays. There is some thought that the names are kind of like horoscopes, and you might be able to tell what a person might be like based on the day that they were born on. I'll leave that for you to decide if you believe the day of the week or the time of the year or maybe even the year that you were born in can tell you what kind of a person you are. All right, that's enough background. On to the story. Anansi and the Impossible Quest One day, the king, who thought himself very wise and powerful, decided he was growing tired of Kwaku Anansi, the Spider-Man. He thought Anansi was getting rather big-headed and a bit too clever for his own good. No matter how difficult the tasks he set for him, 
and Nansei always managed to find an answer. Something had to be done about it. The king thought long and hard, and then he had an idea. He summoned Nansei to the palace and told him he had been chosen for a very special quest. There are two very precious things that I wish to have, and I have chosen you, Kwaku Anansei, to get them for me. Yes, said Anansei eagerly and excited about the thought of a new challenge. What are they? If I should tell you, the king replied with a sly smile, I'm sure it would be far too easy for you. So, to make it more of a challenge for your great wisdom, I am not prepared to reveal what the objects are, only that I want them. If you bring them to me within a week, I will see that you are very well rewarded with land and honor. But if you fail me, you will die. Kwaku Inanse was deep in thought as he made his way home. But walking through the forest, he saw the birds flying around, and that gave him an idea. He stopped and called all the birds to him. I'm on a special mission for the king, he said. I've always been a good friend to you, and all I want now is a small token of your friendship in return. Fly by my house, and each of you leave just one feather. Now off you go, and don't forget. When Anansi arrived home, he found his wife and son staring at an enormous heap of feathers. Don't just stand there, he said. Stick the feathers all over me as quickly as you can and make me into a bird. In no time at all, he was covered in feathers of all shapes and sizes and colors. He looked like the strangest bird you could ever imagine. His two thin arms were transformed into wings, and as he flapped them, he began to fly higher and higher until he could see the king's palace in the distance. He flew into the royal courtyard and saw the king with some of his elders sitting in the shade of a giant tree. So he perched on a high branch where he could hear all that was said. What's that strange bird? asked the king. Oh, send for Inase, suggested one of the elders. He's sure to know. I'm pleased to say that I cannot do that, replied the king, and he explained the impossible quest he had set for Anansi. Oh, what a clever idea, said the elders, and what is it that you want him to get for you? Well, he must go to Death's house and get me his golden slippers and his golden broom. Nobody goes to visit Death and returns, so even if he knew what I wanted, we would still be finished with him. This way, I can put an end to him, whatever happens. Anansi flew away to the sound of their <laughs> laughter. When he reached home, his wife helped him unstick the feathers and prepared some food for the journey. And then he set out on his quest. Anansi began walking for a few hours when he came to a fast-flowing river. As he looked for a way across, he realized he was feeling hungry. He was just about to tuck in when, to his amazement, he heard the gurgling voice of the rushing water asking for a share. You never know when you might want a friend, Anansi said to himself. He threw half of his food into the torrent 
which slowed a little to reveal a line of stepping stones leading across to the other side. As soon as he had eaten his fill, Anansi crossed the river safely. Soon he came to the great gray house where Death lived. He banged on the door and was welcomed inside by an old man. Death didn't have many casual visitors, and so he was particularly pleased to see this one. Why not stay the night? Death asked slyly after Anansi had introduced himself. How very kind of you, said Anansi, knowing full well that if he was silly enough to go to sleep in Death's house, he would not wake up in the morning. The guest room was dark and dusty, but in the middle of it was a huge bed with a soft feather mattress and warm, cozy covers. Anansi got into bed and was lying there, pinching himself to stay awake, when he heard the door open. Not asleep yet? Death asked. I'm afraid not, said Anansi. I can never get to sleep without a pair of golden slippers on my feet. I don't suppose you've got any? Well, as it happens, I have, replied Death. I'll go and get them. So Death brought Anansi the golden slippers. Don't ask me how Anansi managed to get through the night without falling asleep, but as morning light crept through the windows, he was still wide awake and went down to breakfast clutching the golden slippers. Death was sitting on the porch in a very grumpy mood, which wasn't improved by an irritating fly buzzing around his head. I'll get it, Anansi said, and he picked up the golden broom, which just happened to be leaning against the wall. Before Death could say anything, Anansi was running around, swinging at the fly, and catching Death with a few hearty smacks in the process. Then gripping the slippers in one hand and the broom in the other, Anansi chased the fly off the porch and around the corner. Once he was out of sight, he took to his heels and ran just as fast as his legs would carry him away from Death's house. It took Death a while to realize he had been tricked, but then he set off after Anansi as swift as the wind. Anansi could hear Death just behind him when suddenly he found himself splashing about in the water and he knew he was in the river that he had crossed the day before. Please, please, he said. Remember the delicious food I gave you on my way here? Well, I need your help now. Death is behind me, and soon he'll catch up unless you grow into a flood and slow him down. Quick as a flash, the river became a great deep lake that spread towards Death and stopped him in his tracks. Anansi didn't stop running until he reached home, and then it was only to put the slippers and broom in a bag before setting off for the palace. The king was in his favorite place under the tree in the courtyard, sheltering from the sweltering sun. He saw Anansi approaching with a bag that just might contain what he had sent him for. But how could that be? I'm not sure that I've got what you wanted. Could you just tell me what it was? Anansi was enjoying himself. With his elders all around him, the king had no choice but to reply that what he wanted was death's golden slippers and golden broom. You should have seen the look on his face when Anansi took those very items from the bag. The king was hopping mad, 
but he had to keep his word, and Anansi was given land and honor as his reward. As Anansi was leaving, the king suddenly remembered the strange bird he had seen and asked if he knew what it was. Anansi thought for a while. Ever ready with a clever reply, he had the sense this time to realize that sometimes it is wiser to appear ignorant. So he kept a secret, and I hope you will too. The End enjoyed Anansi and the Impossible Quest. Now I want to move on to a quick overview of Ghana and some fast facts so we can understand the country better. So a quick history of Ghana. There is archaeological evidence of stone axes and pottery that dates back to 1000 BC, so about 3000 years ago. I mentioned the Akan people before the story, and they started building large empires around the 11th century, so about 1000 years ago. The Akan is made up of different subgroups, one of which was the Ashante, who became a powerful empire in the south of Ghana. Ghana is famous for its gold and began trading gold along with timber and ivory with the Portuguese and British starting in the 1500s. Now, I did mention this at the top of the show, but I would be leaving out a significant part of Ghana's past if I didn't mentioned the fact that thousands and thousands of West Africans were taken as slaves to the Americas. There are two specific places in Ghana that served as ports for the slave trade, and they are the Elmina and Cape Coast castles. Now, these are not castles in the traditional sense, but they are large, impressive buildings where European slave traders lived in luxury above ground And below, in an underground dungeon, thousands of slaves were crammed into the dark, waiting to be boarded onto ships. These buildings are still there, and they are open as museums, and they are very powerful and sobering places to visit. The British began colonizing the Ashanti Empire in the late 1800s and called their colony the Gold Coast. After around 70 years and numerous wars, The colonized areas claimed independence and joined together to create the country of Ghana in 1957. Ghana's first president was Kwame Nkrumah, and because of the tradition of day names, we know that Kwame was born on a Saturday. Alright, so where is Ghana? Ghana is found in West Africa. It is bordered by the Ivory Coast on the west, Togo to the east, Burkina Faso to the north, and the Gulf of Guinea, which leads into the Atlantic Ocean in the south. It's very tropical in the south and has really lovely beaches that I very much enjoyed. And in the north, it's much drier and not as forested as we're actually starting to get closer to the Sahara Desert. The capital of Ghana is Accra, and it's located by the coast. Okay, so the population of Ghana... Ghana has 29.77 million people, so it's about the 10th of the population of the U.S., and it's the 47th largest country in the world, state of Oregon. For languages, there are over 79 languages in Ghana. I was so amazed when I first learned that. The official language of Ghana is English, due to the aforementioned colonization. And there are nine official languages that are used in local government, one of which is an Akan language called Chui, and it's the most widely spoken indigenous language 
in the country. In the small village that I lived in during my Peace Corps service, I regularly heard three languages spoken. There was Likbakpan, which was the language of the Konkomba people, and that was the predominant language that I heard. There was trees spoken by many people, and the schools were, in fact, transitioning to deliver lessons in Chui instead of Likpakpan. And then, of course, there was English, as it was also taught in school. So anyone who had been to school was able to speak English. Not too far outside of my village, people also spoke Ewe, Dagbani, and French because I lived just seven miles from the border of Togo, a country whose official language is French. And you might be able to guess why that is. As far as religion goes, 71% are Christian, 17% are Muslim, and 5% practice traditional shamanistic religions. That is focused on the belief that all things in the world, like plants and animals, contain divine spirits. There's about 5% who don't practice any religion. And then there's another 1% whose religion is listed as other. So it could be a variety of different religions. I do know that there was a Jewish community center in Kumasi, which is Ghana's second largest city. So that might account for part of that 1%. Um, This is a generalization, but in Ghana, as in other coastal countries in West Africa, the southern part is predominantly Christian, while the northern part is predominantly Muslim. And the village of Abunyanya, where I lived, is situated about halfway up the country. And in our small community of 3,200 people, we had three churches and one mosque that was built while I was living there. So famous people in Ghana. You may have heard of Kofi Annan. Kofi Annan was a Ghanaian diplomat for the United Nations, and he won a Nobel Peace Prize for his work on human rights. We can safely assume that Kofi was born on a Friday, given his day name. There's also a very famous author named Ya Jiasi, who has written a book, among others, called Homegoing. If you were an adult, you should read this book. It's so good. And if you watched the Great British Baking Show, you might remember Selassie from Season 7. He didn't win, but he definitely was a fan favorite. And let's end with a little fun fact. Have you ever heard of talking drums? They are an important part of Ghanaian culture and history. And I don't mean that the drums themselves talk, but rather people use drumming patterns to send messages and help tell stories. There were even special drummers called griots who would travel around to different communities with their drums and tell poetry and stories of both real and fictional. Drumming and music in general is still very important to Ghanaians, and I want to close out this episode with some drumming recorded at a celebration that took place in the town of Apinamong, Ghana. Thank you again for listening to the Global Storytime Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Strand. Until next time. Bye.